somewhat. Don't give me hope. Don't give us hope. Don't give us hope. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the River Blast Podcast. I am Noah Hiles. And I'm Alex Stump. And Alex, they're doing it again. Yep. Yeah, this is the time-honored tradition of giving up halfway through June, and then, oh, they have two epic comebacks at home and sweep the Padres, and all of a sudden, you, you look at the schedule. We're just jumping, I'm just jumping right into uh, the first topic today, which is Pirates' schedule going forward. Are they buyers? Are they sellers? And we don't know yet because they got the series against Houston, which quite frankly is the least consequential series they have for a month because that it's go to Milwaukee, Cubbies and Brewers at home, All-Star break in Chicago, in St. Louis, playing Philadelphia, playing St. Louis. Those are like consecutive series. So it's like, yeah, there is no more margin for error, but it ain't over yet. They're, uh, they're taking on the 2010 NL Central pretty much for the next yeah. month. Yeah. If you take out Philly. Uh, I Which mean, is the old school NL East. Yes. Yeah, same. So, yeah, if this was the 90s, you know, this is, yeah, old school NL East. I like that reference a little bit better. Um, I don't know, man. I, I And we're going to talk about this later in the show, about learning from your mistakes. And I just look at this team, uh, a team that's capable of playing so poorly at the, as the Pirates have earlier this season, to me, is not worth investing in in July. If they're 10 games over 500 on July 29th, I'll retract that statement. That would be a pretty biblical run, though, too. Exactly. Again, exactly. I mean, if they get to 10 games over 500 by July 29th, they almost would have to be in first place because they would have had to beat all the teams that they need to leapfrog in the standings. Exactly. And nothing I'm, – I'm not writing off anything. Like, this team can look like one of the best clubs in baseball one night and then look like one of the worst teams in Pirates history the next. Uh, so I don't, I don't really know what to expect coming forward here. But if you look at Clint Hurdle's track record, his, his teams are normally very, very good going into the All-Star break and coming out of the All-Star break. That's how it's been, I, honestly, for his whole time here in Pittsburgh. I mean, as far as I, I remember, in 2011, they went on a little bit of a streak right before the All-Star break. And then right after the All-Star break was the Jerry Meals thing, uh, right around the trade deadline, and it all fell apart. 2012, they were like close to 20 games over 500 around that period of time. Um, 2013, 14, and 15, you know, 2015 especially, one of the most memorable series in PNC Park history took place right before the All-Star break. Mm -hmm. That big sweep over the Cardinals, the two comeback wins. Uh, And then you look at the years they didn't make the playoffs. I mean, 16... And even in 17, they coming out of the All-Star break in 17, they had that four-game sweep over Milwaukee. Yeah. Then last year, of course, there's the five-game sweep going into the All-Star break over the Brewers, which turned into an 11-game winning streak out of the All-Star break. So 
if history repeats itself, we're going for a run here. And that's kind of what it's looking. Guys are getting healthy. I mean, you don't know about Houston, but there's been other times and throughout history where they're playing a better team. You didn't know. I mean, they can't do well against Milwaukee, right? That's what we said last year. And then, yeah. bam. They, well, the Cardinals, I mean, they're going to win the World Series. This was in 2015, obviously. They didn't win the World Series. but or me this offseason. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, me this offseason as well. Um, but, yeah. I mean, every time they're facing a, what looks to be a superior opponent, I mean, I don't know, man. I just feel like we're about to we're about to go up on a, a big hill. We're going up the hill on the Phantom's Revenge right now. And I'm just I'm just dreading August when we go down it. I mean in the thing also about this stretch with the Cubbies and the Brewers and the Cardinals, none of those teams are playing well right now. No. I mean it the And the Pir- Philly the Phillies too. The Phillies uh. also. I mean, these are teams that the Pirates have to leapfrog, and now that they're they're finally are getting a little healthy, Musgrove looked a lot better. We're going to touch on that in a bit. Uh, Williams is back. Uh, Kella started throwing. Jamo's going to throw again soon. Mm-hmm. So if they, we have seen this team be awful, but they were throwing you know guys that shouldn't be in the major leagues. If the offense can stay where they are right now. I mean, you don't even have to score 10 runs a game. No, no. Give us half of that. I mean, which they've been doing for basically a month. They put in good performance after good performance. And if you could get that with the pitching, the Pirates to make the playoffs basically have to play at a 100-win pace the rest of the season. And if they get the pitching that they had in April and they get the offense they got in May and June, I think that's possible. It is... It is a lot to ask, but it's don't do don't give me hope. Don't give me hope. <laughs> and that's that's the dilemma. I mean, what do you do if you're Neil Huntington and the team is two games out of the wild card, four games out of the division? You you can't make a big trade like you did last year. That's for you're trading Reynolds and Reynolds and uh, Keller for Madison Bumgarner. No, and, and you can't. Touch on Bumgarner. Basically, if the Pirates are buyers at the trade deadline, they're going to try to find a runner reliever that only have to do is give up a 40-grade prospect. They're going to make a small addition, I think. That's the only thing they can do. Some guys, I mean, if they're looking to the buy... they should do, I guess. Guys, guys like Osuna or Kevin Kramer, you know, who are position-blocked, I think should be the first ones to go. And then, of course, you could give away, you know... Guys in double A or single A, like you said, the forty grade prospects, yeah. uh, and teams will try to turn that into something. But overall, yeah, I think as of right now, I'm. I still think you try to trade Dickerson. Yeah. Regardless, I mean, regardless of where you are in the standings, you have enough outfield depth where you that that's something. Dickerson originally, you thought maybe try to get better later with him. You could pull off like a. Oh, who, who, like a Tommy Pham type deal where both yeah. teams are ch- kind of getting better in the now. Or when the uh, Red Sox traded Cespedes or forced Cespedes. Yeah, Oakland traded Cespedes. Yeah, and you kind of get better now. and it, it's yeah. yeah, that would be interesting. The only way I see the parts not trading Dickerson at the trade deadline is, I, is be, t- two conditions. One, they're actually competing. 
And two, Polanco is down. He's going to be down for an extended period of time, and you don't want to make Melky an everyday outfielder again. In that case, you know, it's Dickerson, Marte, uh, Reynolds as your outfield going mm-hmm. in August and September. And then kind of like a backwards way, like Dickerson would be like your your July trade deadline acquisition, but without costing anything. Uh, you could do the... That's a very Neil Huntington thing for you to say. Well, a backwards way type of deal. I, I think the Cespedes type of deal would be I'd, would be the best way going forward, assuming Polanco is healthy. Uh, I'm not 100% convinced. But you can't invest a lot into this team at the trade deadline whenever you completely ignored investing in it the entire offseason. You can't, you can't retroactively fix that. No, and I, I don't think there's much to invest in. I mean... Yeah, sure. A, 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 and it, like a Marcus Stroman would be wonderful, mm-hmm. but there's no point. There's no point in getting that right now. No, I mean. So I think I think a a middle reliever, if the team is relevant, would be an appropriate addition. I, I mean, if if the Pirates, in hindsight, twenty twenty, and I know he hasn't pitched more than thirty games for the team since he's come here, but the Kony Kella trade was a good trade. That was a very appropriate move for where the Pirates were last year. And if they just mm-hmm. stayed put with that, I think, hey, I still think fans would have been happy. It's like, okay, that's, that's a legitimate move. The team was playing well enough where you didn't need to make too many more additions. And you could understand, okay, I mean, there's still a couple games out of a wild card, not a division. I think if you get in that same situation again, add a solid relief pitcher and you're good to go. This year, more than anything, last year they didn't really need bullpen help, and they still got it. This year they do need it. You get a guy like equivalent to what Kella is when he's healthy, maybe even someone a little worse. You look at some teams, you look around, you see who's willing to sell. You go out and get that guy. You don't need to get uh, Green from Detroit, who is probably going to be the best closer on the market this year. Uh, But just get a good 7th, 8th inning guy to be your Edgar Santana. To give Kyle Crick a little bit of less pressure, and same for Frankie, and that's that's what you do. And you touched on this. Uh, the Kella trade, that's probably where they should have stopped. I mean, look at 2020, you know, the Chris Archer and how we were all excited, and, you know, everyone has buyer's remorse now. But looking at where that team was in the standings, yeah. that's what they probably should have. That was there, even though Kella, we've talked about, maybe he came hurt. He's been, he stunk this year. He's been hurt all year. But that's the type of deal. It's like, here's a relief pitcher that you have a couple years of extra control on. That's what you basically want. It's never a bad idea to add a relief pitcher. No, no, if, and, uh, no, especially since if you do it right, yeah, you can when you're not, when you're, yeah, when realize I said relief pitcher and not closer because sometimes it is a bad idea to trade for a closer, yeah, uh, or it ends up being a bad idea when you you know trade Felipe Vasquez for Mark Melanson or you trade Addison Russell for oh and that was for Jeff Samarja so it wasn't a closer, yeah. uh, but. Whatever the case is, there's there's plenty of examples. Francisco, Francisco Meja for Brad Hand. Brad Hand Simber. Yeah. Boy, that was a mistake. Oh, yeah. They got Roberto Perez behind the plate. He's actually having a decent year yeah. in Cleveland. But um, I guess the way to round this up, they're still in sell mode right now, in my eyes. 
Yeah. Uh, if you're at 500 by the trade or by the All Star break, you're in. You're in the territory that we've talked about. Because I mean, stay put, staying put, no one does that. I mean, everyone makes at least one move. It so it might be picking a guy up off the waiver wire. It might be you know just trading prospects for prospects or acquiring a bench guy here or there, like a Michael Morse type thing. Uh, even though he came in a year where there was a million acquisitions for the Pirates. Uh, but everyone's going to do something. Ice Cream Man driving by. That's dope. That's the first time I've seen the Ice Cream Man all year. And I'm really... Last time I saw an Ice Cream Man, I literally went out with 20 bucks and I got like a dozen like Spider-Man pops and I just shoved them in my freezer and they oh, were really? gone in a couple days. I, I, uh, I went out... Oh, what game was that after? I think it was after the time the Pirates beat the... It was Marte's walk-off home run against the A's. I came back here. That was... Yeah, that it was, was a while ago. No, it wasn't. It was like like a month ago. I guess. Feels a lot longer ago. Anyway, that was the last, that was the last time I uh, hit up the ice cream man. After that game, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> we move forward now. So... Optimism for the Pirates right now, or at least the opportunity to be optimistic. Yes. How's that for a headline? <laughs> uh, not much optimism. Uh, ugh, not much optimism surrounding our guy Jamison Tyon right now. Good chance, maybe not a good chance, but there is a chance they're not ruling it out that he might need a second Tommy John surgery. If that's the case, Alex. What's the course of action for the Pirates? What do you do? What are you expecting from him moving forward? Uh, first, we guess we should say this is Beer Temple's yeah. scoop from the Athletic, not ours. Uh, there are two ways to approach this. One, he had so many different people look at that elbow this season. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just Pirates guys. It was the Mets training staff. And as we all know, no one in the New York Mets has ever been injured before. So that medical staff is top-notch. Uh, but they looked at it multiple times and they said, rest. And that was always the, you know, diagnosis, rest and we'll reassess. And it's not fair to draw this comparison, but last year, the diagnosis for Chad Cool for so long was rest and we'll reassess. And what happened was Chad Cool, if he would have had the surgery whenever he, whenever they told him to rest, yeah, when if the original diagnosis would have just been a surgery, he would have been coming back in a b- couple weeks. Mm-hmm. He would have been pitching in 2019. They waited, and he's not going to pitch this year. And I think that's my biggest fear with Jamison Tyon, that if he does end up needing Tommy John surgery, not only did you lose him for two-thirds of the, or more than two-thirds of this season, you lost him all for all of next year, too. Yeah. And not to mention, you know, the risk associated with having two Tommy John surgeries. He's going to start throwing this uh, road trip. He's got to do some tossing for the first time. This is a very pivotal moment for Jamison Tyon's tenure as a pirate. There's all the difference between coming back, even in like a bullpen role for September, October, or August and September, hopefully October, and being shut down for the year and not pitching in 2020. Those are three very different scenarios, and it's going to really dictate how I think we're going to remember Jameson Tyon. And it, not entirely his fault. 
No, not at all. No, not his, not his fault. Arguably not even really the medical staff's fault because, like they said, they had so many different eyes look at it and they all came up with the same conclusion. But maybe this isn't fair, but if Jamison Tyon does need Tommy John, then I think it's irrefutable someone in the training staff's head needs to roll. Yeah, I mean, someone... I just look at a guy like Nick Kingham, right? Mm-hmm. And just watching his videos go viral, his first pitch thrown as a Blue Jay gets hit out of the state of Texas. <sighs> I, I, I mean, they, they, they clearly messed that guy up. They ruined his career. With the Tommy John. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just... I really, really, really hope that they didn't do it to Jamison Tyone. Because... Kingham's a good guy, but he was, what, what was he, like an 8th round pick, 10th round pick? Yeah, he was... Something like that. J-Mo always had the moniker of being J-Mo, a genius, well, J-Mo, was, you know, a 3-4 guy. J-Mo was picked one pick after Bryce Harper, right? Is that correct? I think that it went Harper, Tyon, J-Mo, Machado. Machado, yes. This was a big investment for the Pirates. One where if you mess up Nick Kingham, okay, that's a 10th round pick. He had potential, but oh well. But for you to let guys like Glassnow get away and Cole get away and then to screw up this guy under your own watch, someone who I believe would have taken a hometown discount, someone I believe would have been more willing to stay if he had the potential to make a difference here, which he did. When pitching well. If you screw that up simply because you did not know how to drive the Ferrari that he was. Still could be. Someone's, someone's got to lose their job. I mean, that, that's, unex, that's inexcusable. Yeah, and I, I don't think Jamo would take that hometown discount. Or at least I don't think he would have last year. Maybe things will be different whenever, you when know. He miss he, another season he, from injury? Yeah, maybe things will be. I mean, if he has Tommy John surgery, then the Pirates really can't have you know, risk, you know, giving him a long-term deal because no one has three incomes back. That's that's a death sentence right there. But if this is... The first time he had Tommy John surgery, I remember people saying, like, he really didn't need it. But it was, like, this will probably... You could probably fix this problem without surgery. And he's like, well, should I just have the surgery? Like, it's your call. He's like, okay, let's do it. Which is kind of weird because this is like the exact opposite situation where... Where oh, you're looking any way possible to avoid it. Yes. And that's what all the rest was. And there, has, there wasn't damage to the UCL. And, and that's not saying that Tommy John would have fixed this problem. He could start throwing and everything could be fine. And, you know, that diagnosis, they were just off a little bit and, you know, he would be fine. This is... This is big. I mean, this is the best pitcher that the Pirates have produced besides Garrett Cole in in Neil Huntington's history. And I really don't care about the draft pick as much. It's, you know, the I just care about developing the player and once they get to the major leagues, actually reach their potential. And we saw with Charlie Morton that wasn't a thing. We saw with Tyler Glasnow that wasn't a thing. And even if it's beyond the Pirates' control, uh, it could be the same with JMO. And if that's the case, you can't, you can't basically throw away three 
aces slash number two pitchers, especially for a small market team that's relying exclusively on pitching. No doubt. All right, so we'll move on now to our third and final topic of our big three. Chris Archer, Joe Musgrove, two guys that we've been talking about a lot lately, both looking a little bit better. One looking a lot better. Yeah. Uh, and both have made some changes in their pitch selection. We'll start with the better one, Joe Musgrove. Yeah, he threw 39 sliders in that last start. It's almost like when you throw pitches that are working in 2019, you have better numbers in 2019. It's, it's even, yes, it even more simplified. He's like, it was my best pitch and I wasn't throwing it enough. It's like, what? How, how is this? I mean, good. I'm glad you finally saw the lights, but yeah. wow. How is that? How did that take so long to put two and two together? It's like Garth Brooks having a concert and not playing like low places. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, dude, play the hits, Joe. Play the hits. And I looked at the Pirates rotation, x Weber, which goes based on exit velocity, a launch angle. It, it's the best pitch in the Pirates rotation. And he wasn't throwing it a lot. I'm glad that we saw that 39 slider start. I hope it's not a tease, and this is something that he's got to go going forward because he was doing that in early April. He was throwing a lot of sliders, and then he just kind of stopped. And what a surprise, that's whenever he started to struggle. And the other one I'm going to introduce for you is Chris Archer, who in his last start, he, he uh, told Jacob Stallings a few days earlier, I'm not throwing my two-seamer, which was the Pirates' fix for every pitcher who's come into the organization since 2013. It was absolutely terrible. There were only... Uh, Two pitchers in baseball who had a worse slugging percentage on two seamers and sinkers than Chris Archer. So it just wasn't a good pitch. Don't throw it. And he's like, all right, I'm not going to throw it. And what does he do? Oh, he turns in a good start. The pitcher that the Pirates acquired last year, who wasn't reaching his 2015 potential, but was still an impact player with a good FIP, and if you could just take him out of the AL least, he would probably be a, a good pitcher. Maybe not that ace anymore, but a solid number two guy. He's still in there. I think this is the first time all year where we have seen the step take to bring him back, that guy. So my analysis on Musgrove, I looked this up when you were talking. You said he stopped throwing a slider. Uh, I'm looking at the splits when Cervelli catches him compared to Diaz, and I'm starting to wonder if maybe Diaz just wasn't calling for the slider a lot. Because hmm. here is the things that stand out to me. Overall... His ERA with Cervelli this season is 442. His earned run average with Diaz is 450. He's pitched eight games with Cervelli, nine with Diaz. But you got to remember the first game that he pitched with Cervelli uh, was his bullpen. Yeah. Or maybe Diaz. No, I don't know. But either way. Diaz was on the IL then. Okay. Oh, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, it was. So he's got eight, uh, eight, seven starts with Cervelli, nine with Diaz, but still pretty similar sample size. Okay. Innings pitched, 38 and two-thirds with Cervelli, 46 with Diaz. So a little bit more, like I said. The slugging is what just jumps off the page here. 503 with Diaz. Or no, yeah, 503 with Diaz compared to 349 with Cervelli. Yeah. That, to me, tells me Diaz was calling different pitches. And he was. Because, look here, 
How many home runs do you think uh, hitters hit off of Musgrove with Cervelli behind the plate? I'm gonna say he's allowed eight this year. I'll, I'll say two. You're you're two off. Zero. Oh. Zero home runs allowed by Joe Musgrove when Francisco Cervelli is is putting down the signs. Eight. Eight. And granted, you know he he threw eight and two thirds or eight seven and a third more innings with. Diaz, mm-hmm. but that's literally one start for him sometimes. So, yeah, there was clearly a miscommunication between those two, I think. Um, at first, you know, I was one saying he was injured, but, yeah, I'm pretty proud I just found that out. There you go. There you go. Look at you dropping stats. Uh-huh. I'm not a numbers guy. I'm not a rapper. Um, and then Archer, yeah, I mean, like, I... I I talk, I believe I talked about this. How Searage said that on our show the other or a couple weeks ago, where he said, you know, I wish he would throw his change up more. Not our show. Not our show. Your show, our show. Ninety three seven, the fan <laughs> pregame, sh- the NASCO roofing pregame show. Uh, <laughs> I would get in trouble if I didn't say that. So, yeah, Searage was talking about how he wishes he threw the change up more, and then uh, the uh, I believe after Archer starts Saturday night. They had Stallings on, and Zangrilli was grilling him about Archer's pitch count or pitch selection. And said, "How many two seamers did he throw?" And he said, zero. I called for zero two seam fastballs in that start. And look at the look at look at what happens when your pitchers don't throw a two seam fastball. I mean, look at what they're doing in Houston. Look at what they're doing in Tampa Bay. And hell, look what they're doing. For your team, when they don't throw that stupid pitch. Archer, pitching more like himself, he always references the times when he's had success. I think maybe with the catcher that he has confidence with and his pitch selection, we can see some consistent progress. We can see him avoid that one bad inning. So, anything further to add on that? You know, I could go for an ad read right about now. An ad read? That's funny, because that's what I was originally pulling up until you... Uh, Not do an interview. No interview for today's show. Instead, we're going to review Garrett Cole's start. But we we are recording this prior to the game, because I have to be up at 3 a.m. for work on Wednesday morning. So I'm not staying up and watching the entire Garrett Cole start. So what we're going to do is Alex is going to send me his verbal report on Garrett Cole's start, and I'm just going to wake up in the morning and see what happens and then tell you what I think. Fresh thoughts. Literally, as soon as my head jumps off the pillow, I'm grabbing my recorder, looking at Garrett Cole's stat line, reading the game recap on on Buck's dugout, of course. Shout out, Alex. Are you writing the gamer for that one? Not tonight. Oh, okay, then I'm not reading it. All right. Uh, but And then we'll give you our thoughts on that. So when we do that which would be our normal interview segment, my phone deciding to not unlock, that would be brought to you by No Negations. No Negations is a motivational lifestyle and apparel brand. Their mission is to inspire others to achieve no matter the circumstance. It's easy to quit or give up, especially if the people around us are feeding negativity. The No Negations team wants to be that positive reinforcement in your life. They offer talks and workshops to get your team's clients and customers motivated and inspired. Their team of national and world-class athletes are energetic, impactful, motivational speakers offering insight on perseverance, team building, fitness, and mindset development so whether if you have a t-shirt hat 
polo, long sleeve shirt, crew neck, hoodie, or leggings, it should be a reminder that no matter your circumstance, you can overcome if you remain consistent. Visit their website at www.nonegations.com to order apparel and to receive more information on speaking events. Also follow them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at No Negations. Now we're going to get into our segments. So yeah, like I said, we're mixing it up a little bit early. So now we're going to get into our segments. Alex, who are segments brought to us by? Why, our segments, as always, are brought to you by Slice on Broadway. With locations in Carnegie, Beachview, the East End, and of course, our favorite at PNC Park. Slice on Broadway has it all. From their perfect pizza, spectacular salads, or super delicious subs, everything they make is handmade and the best your money can buy. They wouldn't be able to sleep if it wasn't. Be sure to check them out and tell them the guys from the River Blast podcast sent you. Alright, segment time. Alex, it's segment time. We always start off with buy, sell, trade. Uh, you go ahead. You want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, I am buying a Brian Reynolds jersey, and I and I don't mean this, you know, as you know, I'm gonna buy someone a Brian Reynolds jersey. I'm gonna buy one for myself. I like the kid. Uh, let me pull up Pirates MLB shop right here. Uh, men's jerseys. Do, 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 do. Okay, well there are six Andrew McCutcheons. Uh, five Garrett Coles, uh, three Josh Harrisons, a John Jaso, but no Brian Reynolds jersey. What a shame. Wow, why would the Pirates not have a jersey of a kid who's just been fantastic? It's been two months. Like, you should have this in stock. You should be able to go to PNC Park and buy a Brian Reynolds jersey. This is something earlier that I know you touched on. You can't buy a Stephen Brault jersey. There either. The the selection is very well, That's a poor. hell of a comparison that you just made. I know. Well, but, Stephen Brault's been the best starting yeah, pitcher I for get, a month. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, it's you. There's a very poor selection of jersey. How about a jersey? All right. You sh- they should have had the jerseys yeah, available sure. now. I'll, I'll, I might be willing to excuse the actual jerseys, but like, let me buy a shirt. Uh, I am selling every single person on Twitter's hot takes about Garrett Cole tonight. I'm, I'm selling them all. I don't want to hear it. You, you just threw your hands up in the air. Was that a buy-sell trade for you? Just keep going. All right, I'm sorry. Uh, they're going to say, like, oh, well, he... He came out mad. That's why he struck out X amount of batters. It's like, well, you kept saying that he was too emotional in Pittsburgh, and that's why he wasn't good. Or, oh, obviously the same thing could conversely happen. Or, you know, oh, this is why the Pirates couldn't do this. Or this is why the Astros... Like, it's one start. I, we all... Everything we want to say about Garrett Cole has been said over the last year and a half by Pittsburgh uh, fans in media, by Houston fans in media, by MLB fans in media. There is nothing new about Garrett Cole that we are going to see in the start that hasn't that we haven't seen in any of what, his almost fifty other starts unless with Houston? Unless he throws a perfect game. If he throws a perfect game that'll shut me up. And as for my trade, I I talked about this earlier. This isn't a trade I'm making. It's a trade I noticed that I want to uh, talk about. It's about how the parts are trading we raved 
We just ragged on the two-seamer a couple weeks ago. We did it earlier in this show, even. Pirates have been trading more for, for two-seamers for four-seamers. This year, they still have thrown a lot, but this is the lowest amount of two-seamers that they have thrown since pitch tracking start, data started being available in 2008. I like that trade. I would go even further with it for the rest of this year in 2020 and beyond. All right. Not bad. I, I, I pretty much agree uh, with everything you said so far. So This is rare. Yeah, I know. <laughs> My buy, uh, I'm going to buy some ear, earbuds oh. for you, Alex, because you didn't listen to our episode last week. Yeah. I asked you what you thought of the interview I that have... you were running late to and couldn't make happen, and I was like, oh, what would you think of my interview with Jason Look. Mackey? And you were like, I haven't listened. So I'm going to have to buy you some earbuds because that's clearly the only reason why you're not listening to our own show. Well, I'm, I hate the sound of my own voice. Everyone does, I know, but I really do. I do listen to all the podcasts that we do because that is a, that's tough for me because it's like, oh, my God, I'm talking. I hate it. I hate it, too, but that's how yeah. you get better. I know. That's why I do it. And I just I didn't watch it. I had a lot of stuff going on this week. I've got a double feature Wednesday afternoon. Oh, Double feature River Blast podcast. There you go. All right. My sell, I'm just selling all the Garrett Cole hate. You said hot takes on Garrett Cole. I'll just say, like, everyone who doesn't like Garrett Cole, like, I don't get why. Like, he wasn't, like, A-B here. You know, like, he, I guess he didn't want to be here, but... But he showed up and did his job. He, he did. He did. to get He traded. did, and he didn't dog it. I mean, the guy, yeah. gave, he cared. Like, he, he yeah. was invested in winning. Like his, for nothing else, he wanted to make sure that he was still a good pitcher if for no other reason than he'll make bank later. Yeah, I mean, the guy, the guy wanted to do well, which is, like, how could you be mad at that? He, he, he went out there and he competed every single time. And he's the best pitcher the Pirates have had in my lifetime. So I don't, I don't understand why people could get mad at him. He didn't leave here willingly. He would have. But, like, yeah. like, like they, they traded him away, and he had, again, he was the best pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates in my lifetime. So I don't, I don't know why anyone would dislike Garrett Cole. Um, last but not least, Jose Osuna. I'm trading him and his spot on the roster as the permanent right-handed hitting third baseman on this team for Jung Ho Gong. I'm done with it. Jung Ho, I know you come out to... Uh, Pure Water, or whatever that song's called, by my Migos and Mustard, and it always makes me smile. But, no. We're done. Jose Asuna, to me, there's nothing you can tell me right now that will make me believe that Jose Osuna is so far less of a baseball player to Jung Ho Gung that he's not worth keeping around. He's more versatile in the field. He's not probably better not. He's not better in the field, but he's more versatile, and he has just as much pop in his bat. I'm all in on Jose Asuna. That's my buy-sell trade. And you're also missing the key thing that Jose Asuna can hit a left-handed pitcher. That's And a breaking ball. Yes, and a change-up. <laughs> okay. So basically, he can hit anything. He can hit the four-seam fastball and every other pitch, theoretically, too, which is a nice trait to have in a baseball player. All right. Moving forward, next segment. Well said, Neil. Neil Huntington. And this is a direct quote. I'm not, I'm not allowed to insert the audio because I got the audio for another media outlet. Um, so here, here's, here's a direct quote from General Manager Neil Huntington. He said this on Sunday to all of us. 
When asked by, I was believe it's Kevin Gorman asked him about the trade deadline and what his intentions are if they start winning again before the All-Star break like they did the last however many years. You don't want to overreact to a good 5 or 10 game stretch. You don't want to overreact to a not so good 5 or 10 game stretch. But this is an important stretch of games for us against teams we are chasing. And I want I just want to go back to the beginning of that paragraph. You don't want to overreact to a good 5 or 10 game stretch. Is this guy trolling us? He has to be. I mean that how did first of all everyone deserves an academy award for not doing the uh the sock puppet meme the one where it's looking at you and then it's looking away like <laughs> I mean like just any literally any meme ever like my face like I I looked right at you you were looking at him like a respectable journalist I, I caught you out of my perifs looking at me yeah like, I, <laughs> I, I as soon as you said it I looked right at Alex I was like oh my god like dude what did you just say of all the people in the world Neil Huntington. To say that sentence, I believe you are the last person who can say that credibly. I mean, because that's what he did last year. They won 11 in a row. What? Well, I'm sorry. 11 is greater than 10. You don't want to overreact to 10, but you can for 11. But it's like you did do this last year, and you can't overreact after 5 or 10 this year because you did over. Oh, you traded everything you could overreact with. Yeah. I mean, wow. So... I don't really have anything else to add to that. I just thought that was funny, and I don't think anyone else has talked about it. So, What about the, again, the other meme, the kid with the water glass? Yeah. He's like, oh, no. Oh yeah, yeah, the kid with the water glass. Uh, or there's the little African-American kid. Uh, it's like a 90s meme where he just has, like, one solo tear rolling down his eye. I thought that, I thought that was, like, me, too, when he said that. I was like, but you did overreact. Um... So uh, we will wrap it up now with a sinker float. Uh, Josh Bell, should we be worried about our guy Josh Bell? Probably going to be in the home run derby um, and uh, probably going to be an all-star. But his month of June is looking rather pedestrian. Like you said, what is it, 96? 96 WRC+. Plus, uh it, it's not loading for me. Uh, 785 OPS, which normally would sound good, but considering that's basically, it comes with like a 333 OBP. He's basically been an average hitter since the calendar turned to June. And what concerns me is the 306 X Woba. So I'm going to say that floats. I am a little concerned about Josh Bell at the moment. I knew that, jo- I mean, there's no way he was going to be able to sustain what oh, he did in oh, May. And I, and I get that. But, but it's, it's, it's a, he's, I don't know. I just didn't figure. I figured the plateau would be a little bit more lengthy. Like I didn't know he was gonna just struggle immediately as soon as the end uh, end of May. You know, I mean, it was even a couple days before the end of May if you really want to go into it. I don't. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I I, overall, I mean, the guy's still probably gonna finish with thirty home runs and a hundred runs batted in. So yeah, you can't you can't really fault him, but. But that 100-game pace, you need him to hit well. Yeah. You can't have him be, you know, average Josh Bell for the final three months of the season. Yeah. yeah I mean, in, in, if, unless, if you know, you're going to be sellers, and then who cares? But, yeah, if you're going to... you comp- just tank his arbitration. Yeah. There you go. Alex, bold prediction as we round out the show. Oh, wait. Yeah. Wait. 
I don't know how we're going to do this. Oh, yeah. Well, we're rounding out the show with Garrett Cole. Okay. So, so But we're still giving our bold predictions. Yeah. Bo- okay. Bold prediction before the game. Before the game. Uh, Garrett Cole gives up two home runs. He strikes out a ton of batters. Pirates win. Uh, I'll just go Garrett Cole, too. Garrett Cole, 14 strikeouts. Astros win. See, this is the best one because I have the fresh in my mind. It'll be like, yeah, I was... I was right, or, well, I was wrong again. You've been a lot better than me at these. All right, so be sure to follow us on Twitter at Noah underscore Howls 95, at Alex J. Stump, at River Blast Radio. Like, rate, uh, share, subscribe, do it all for the podcast. Uh, We'll sign off saying let's go Bucks, and here are our thoughts on the Garrett Cole start. So it is the top of the seventh inning, and Garrett Cole's day is done. I'm just going to record this now instead of waiting until the end of the game because we're just talking about Cole, obviously. Uh, it seemed like a very piratey Garrett Cole performance. Only three strikeouts, uh, six innings, um, just the one run allowed. Overall, the stuff looked good. I mean, a dozen whiffs with the fastball. That's pretty impressive. Uh, he only did that twice in his entire pirate career, and that's the 12th time he's done it as an Astro. So the answer—it's clear that even whenever it's like okay, the slider and curveball were good, it also elevates his fastball. He, he was just throwing too many in Pittsburgh, but then again, we all knew this. Uh, as a whole, though, he tiptoed a fine line. Pirates missed a lot of opportunities. In the first whenever uh, Dickerson swung at ball four to hit and run and uh, Newman was caught stealing ending an early threat. Um, in the fifth, Frazier and Newman get to a full count with a couple runners on base and Frazier flies out to the wall and Newman strikes out. And then they load the bases in the sixth. This was very very close to being a completely different narrative. This wasn't Garrett's best stuff. The Pirates made him... They just couldn't make him pay for his mistakes. Uh, we all knew that Garrett was going to come in amped. He pitched He pitched well. It wasn't his best start as an Astro. It uh, wasn't his worst. Uh, Pirates just couldn't get that one or two extra hits. Probably will cost them the game. I'm saying, of course, with a couple innings left to play, so... That might age poorly, but I'm going to (laughs) just... This is just riffing, and these are the thoughts that are going in my head. Yeah. I think this isn't the Astro Garrett Cole, and he didn't strike out 14 batters like everyone expected. I think the Pirates did a good job to, you know, fight to push back at him, but they ultimately couldn't do enough. All right, morning, folks. It is a beautiful day here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 3 a.m. I'm looking at the box score right now. Garrett Cole. <sighs> Six innings pitched, seven hits, one run. It was earned. Two walks, only three strikeouts, so a crisp 11 off of my bold prediction. That's funny. I'm watching the replay on AT&T right now. I just watched his last inning on the hill. Pirates had the bases loaded. Couldn't get the tying run home. You hate to see that. 
you actually do hate to see that, so, I don't know, I, uh, I expected more from Cole, honestly, and, uh, I guess at the same time, looking at the way he performed yesterday, I expected more from the Pirates offense, I watched a little bit of the game, Josh Bell had an at-bat where he could have got a run home, only one out runner on third. That was the bat prior to Melky, so I guess that doesn't matter. <sighs> but we're like in the bottom of the sixth inning now, starting. I think this is where Trevor implodes, or he might go another inning and implode. But it looks like the Pirates are outplaying the Astros right now. So it's unfortunate that they uh, couldn't get out of this one with a win. Because, as we said in the podcast, every game is important right now. All right. That's my review. I hope you enjoyed Alex's. I hope you enjoyed mine. hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next time. Let's go, Bucks.